Hello everyone, Chris Carlton here with the Study Broadcast. Today we're going to have Colleen Marchwick on the show from UW-Eau Claire. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to talk about how Colleen's time in the Peace Corps and uh, her master's degree about uh, and learning how to teach English, all that stuff led to her career in international education, her very own in study abroad experiences, what employers look for, recommendations on maybe articles to read if you're thinking about studying abroad, uh, grant programs. We're going to talk about language learning. Language learning is a big part of studying abroad, so I don't know if you're going to learn a language or not, but we talk about that, uh, how a big part of the people at UW Leclerc are Spanish speakers, so getting them to learn Spanish. Uh, we also learn about studying abroad in the winter, so studying abroad during your winter break as an option. And we get into, um, you've probably been on your study abroad website and see fa seen faculty-led programming, so we're going to get into a little bit about what that is. So uh, that being said, I'm going to start the episode. Let me know if you have any questions, and we'll see you guys at the end. All right, thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Study of Broadcast. I am here with Colleen Marchwick from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Colleen, thank you very much for being here, and welcome to the show. All right. My pleasure. Okay. So getting right into it, Colleen is the Director of Study Abroad at uh, University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, UW-Eau Claire, and I'm sure she's got a lot of experience, a lot of information to get out to you. Like, we, like we've learned in past interviews, um, each school is different as far as what they offer they, uh, in terms of scholarships, programs, ways you can study abroad. So I'm sure you'll learn a lot more about studying abroad at UW-Eau Claire if you're either a student there or, thinking, or an international student thinking about coming to UW-Eau Claire. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Colleen. And Colleen, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your study abroad experience and what led you to get to where you are today as far as your career in international education. Yeah, thank you. So I guess I always like to kind of preface my experiences that I grew up in a really small town in southeastern Minnesota. And so, um, but interestingly enough, I was kind of always interested in international things, even though I would say my town wasn't terribly international. Uh, it was only 1,200 people, and but I was always friends with the international, you know, high school exchange students. And um, when I went to college, um, I had to take a foreign language because my school was so small that no languages were offered. So I took French, and I really enjoyed language learning, and that's really what led me to my own study abroad experience. So I spent a year in France. And initially, I had only thought I would go for one semester, but I really had a goal of improving my French and gaining fluency, so I soon realized that I would need longer than one semester to do that. Uh, and then after I completed my study abroad and graduated with a, a bachelor's in history and French, I um, was looking for how to go abroad again. And in particular, I still wanted to use my French language skills. So after a lot of research, I decided to apply to the Peace Corps. 
um, and I was accepted, and then I uh, lived and served in Morocco for about two and a half years with the Peace Corps. Uh, and you know, uh-huh. so, yeah, and I really enjoyed both of my experiences abroad. Uh, and, you know, so I think after those two experiences, I was really kind of committed to a career in um, international education. And then it was really just figuring out which path was right for me. You know, I had, I went and did my master's in um, applied linguistics and teaching English as a second language. But it was really by chance that when I was uh, working at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington, they had the opportunity to start a position as a half-time study abroad advisor, and so I applied, and I know I got that job, and it kind of changed the career path that I was on. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm happy with that bit of serendipity. <laughs> I really enjoy um, working with students that are thinking about going abroad, uh, and also now in my role as the director of the Center for International Education, I also oversee services for international students that are coming here to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Yeah, it's a really interesting career. Yeah, so maybe uh, when you were in the Peace Corps, where did that take you? Did it take you anywhere other than what you mentioned, or were you just stationed? Yeah, so with the Peace Corps, you know, it's a – um, a two-year and three-month commitment. You do three months of training and then two years of service. I stayed for an additional three months to train the new cohort of volunteers that were coming into Morocco. Uh, Morocco is kind of interesting um, in it because to the south of Morocco is the Western Sahara, which is mm-hmm. a um, conflicted territory. So Morocco claims it. You know, Western Sahara claims its independence, so, you know, it wasn't really easy to travel south. And then to the east of Morocco is Algeria, which at the time and had their own set of issues and problems. Um, so it wasn't easy to travel by land to other places through Morocco at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and I just chose to stay in Morocco for my whole time. Some people travel to Spain because it's only eight miles across the Straits of Gibraltar to Spain. Um, I just chose, I really love Morocco, and Morocco is quite a large country. It's about the size of California, so there's tons to oh, see. Wow. There's coastline, both, you know, the, the, the ocean and the sea, Mediterranean Sea. There's three major mountain ranges. There's the desert. So I just chose to kind of explore Morocco during that mm-hmm. time. Uh, wow. And now transitioning into Eau Claire, you said kind of where you left off. Is, this, is, this is kind of a multifaceted question, but what would you tell a student who is first thinking about studying abroad in the United States and basically what makes uh, Eau Claire unique and why why should a student come to Eau Claire? And then secondly, why should a student that's at Eau Claire now study abroad and come into your office and learn about um, the adventures and opportunities that await, given the cost? Yeah. Well, what I would say is that, you know, study abroad is associated with a lot of positive outcomes for the people who engage in that activity. So, you know, for students who study abroad, they're more likely to 
you know, stick with college, they're more likely to graduate from college, and that's kind of true across a lot of different demographic categories. Um, also, I think study abroad um, allows students to do a lot of valuable skill building uh, that can be attractive to future employers. So you build kind of knowledge-based skills within your discipline. So, for example, if you're marketing and you study marketing abroad, but also, you know, depending on your country choice, you can build linguistic skills. And then I think there's also a lot of soft skills that students build that are valuable to future employers. So, um, like problem solving, flexibility, tolerance for ambiguity, uh, the ability to work with people who have different cultural values, uh, self-reliance. So there's other kind of soft skills that I think that are important for future employment that can be gained through study abroad. And it, this is just a, a plug. <laughs> AIFS has this really wonderful online publication called The Student Guide to study abroad in career development that's authored by Martin Tillman, but I'd really encourage students to read. Um, it just has a lot of good information helping students think intentionally about how they can connect the study abroad experience to their career. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely put a link to that in, the, in your article. Yeah. And um, I think in terms of like why I come to Eau Claire, I guess what I would say is I think um, Eau Claire is really a supportive campus for study abroad, and I, I say that in a number of ways. So, um, you know, we have a variety of programs that have been approved through university governance, um, and they're both what we would consider exchange, direct enroll, faculty-led programming. Um, we have a variety of terms, anywhere from a couple of weeks all the way up to, you know, full year abroad. We have international research abroad programming. Um, I think the, un the institution um, does a good job in giving meaningful academic credit to the student work abroad, right, because since study abroad is an academic experience, you know, you're taking credits while you're abroad. For the most part, you want to make sure those credits count towards your degree progression so that you don't lose time to degree. And I think Eau Claire does a good job of um, giving meaningful credit to students who do go abroad. Um, we also have some grant programs here at Eau Claire that support uh, study abroad participation and help lower the cost of participation for students. Um, uh, are, and I think also, you know, we have a, we have a very um, credentialed staff of people that are trying to help students think about their program choice and also to help prepare them for when they go abroad. And, um, you know, Eau Claire was uh, recognized by the Forum on Education Abroad for being um, in compliance with the standards of good practice. Uh, and so we were one of the first, I, I think we were the first public four-year institution to receive that designation from the Forum on oh, Education wow. Abroad. Yeah. So that's pretty pretty impressive for Eau Claire. Yeah, I'd say. I'm sorry, I'm just taking a note on that. And <clears throat> what, um, 
so as far as students that study abroad are on Eau Claire's campus and leave, are you finding uh, do most of them lean towards a specific program or time period, or um, like are they volunteering? Well, I'm not, not volunteering; they're studying abroad. But are they yeah. doing exchange? Are they doing a program? Like, what's the what's the traditional route for uh, someone on Eau Claire's campus? Well, what I would say is we see a lot of um, <clears throat> we still see a lot of language students going abroad, in particular Spanish language students. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably our biggest population and. Um, so we see a lot of students right now going to Spain and a lot of students going to like Costa Rica to fulfill their Spanish language requirement here at UW-Eau Claire if they are a major or minor. Mm-hmm. And then I also think, obviously, Spanish in terms of a skill is, that will be valuable within a variety of career settings in the United States is growing. Um, but then, you know, outside of that, I would say we really see a lot of um, students really thinking about what's the best situation for them in terms of timing. Um, I think nationally you might be aware that the short-term program is growing. Um, and so we do see that trend here at Eau Claire as well, that, you know, students are choosing a winter or a summer um, versus, like, a semester or a year. Yeah. Oh, really? So I was um, I was actually unaware that winter was an option. Is that specifically at Eau Claire's? No, a lot of institutions, it depends on what the winter term is like. You know, obviously at Eau Claire we have a – I think now it's a four-week winterum, so that's allowed us to do more winterum programming um, because, you know, most people don't want to leave before the holiday period. Um, uh-huh. Well, yeah. I mean, but a lot of, I mean, like, I, a lot of, sorry. No, I was going to say, I guess it makes sense if you can go for a month in the summer. Why can't you go during your break in the winter, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. And I think a lot of institutions, um have had a long-term J-term, so like when I went to school uh, in the late 80s, early 90s in Minnesota, they had a, a J-term, January term, and I think um, in particular, I think what you see during that time period is faculty-led programming. Uh-huh. Okay. What is, so wait, I see that all over study abroad, but could you maybe get a little bit in, what is faculty-led programming? Is that just the faculty plans a trip and you go with them? Is that simple or... Yeah, well, it's still, with what we call faculty-led programming in the field of study abroad is typically it means that you are um, taking a course offered by a home campus faculty member, and okay. your fellow participants would also be students primarily from your home campus. And so it's, they're taking like an Eau Claire course, but they're taking it on location Abroad, and of course, um, in most cases, has been specifically developed to use the local environment to enhance the learning of the students participating in the program. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for shedding some light on that. Kind of yeah. I see it everywhere I go, and I never did it when I was in school, and I yeah. read a little about it, but that's kind of what I thought it was. So, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Yeah, now, <clears throat> if a student comes into your office and they're saying. I want to study abroad, but I don't think I can afford it. I don't think it's worth it, but it seems like a great opportunity. 
what would you tell what would you tell that student sitting in your office, which is about what most of them are thinking? Most of them don't study abroad, and tell them, yeah. you know, maybe why they should. And what, what what would your advice be for that? Well, I think if the question is finances, you know, I guess I would say two things to the student. You know, first is like, how flexible are you about your study abroad location? So I would ask that question because we do have some programs here at Eau Claire that are very similar in cost to being on campus, even including the airfare. Uh, but, you know, sometimes they're going to locations where there's a favorable exchange rate between the U.S. dollar and that host country. Right. Um, so if people are flexible, right, so maybe you would be willing to go to um, – Ghana instead of England or Scotland, yep. you might be able to have a, an experience that's similar to the cost of being on campus. Uh, so that would be one thing I would ask. Um, okay. And then the second thing I would say is, like, have you talked with your the Office of Financial Aid about your assumptions that you can't afford to study abroad? Because uh, I think sometimes people make assumptions without actually asking the question. Uh, so oftentimes there may be additional aid available through grants and scholarships that could help offset mm-hmm. some of the additional costs of studying abroad. Um, in some cases, um, you know, the student could apply for scholarships. So, and then oftentimes too, you know, the aid that a student receives is based on a formula, you know, um, about their expected family contribution versus the cost of attendance. So they may be eligible for more aid if the program is more expensive. So I think there's a lot of factors that students may not be aware of that are worthy of questions with people who have expertise in the area of financial aid. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. And then I guess the final thing that I say to students, and I look at this as somebody who is, you know, older and has been is working, is that I, I think study abroad is one of those things that's always tricky. So as a student, you have this unique situation in life where you have a lot of, you may have time and freedom, but you may not have as many resources. But then when you enter the work world, you may have more resources, but you don't have time. Um, you know, it's very unusual that somebody's going to be able to take more than a week or two away from a job or maybe family obligations. So really this time as a student is a very unique period in your life. And if study abroad really is a goal, I would encourage students to really not give up on it without yeah. some serious exploration because it's not easily done later on in life. No, the, yeah, the timing is impeccable. You couldn't ask for better timing. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, especially given the youth. So, yeah, when yeah. It, you can't, unless your job dictates it, when else are you going to be yeah. able to actually live abroad? You can travel, yeah. but living is a different story. So I know you yeah. can with technology, but it's more feasible when you're younger and in school. And yeah. now, could you maybe tell us, uh, piggybacking off of, now we're getting going, right? So we're in your office. Yeah. We're convinced to study abroad. And now, can you maybe tell me a cool story about your travel experiences? 
Yeah, well, so, like, I feel, like, kind of like an oldie whenever I talk about my study abroad experience, but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Um, so, like, when I studied abroad, it was, like, 1990, and so... Uh-huh. Um, at that time, there was a lot of changes with uh, in Central Eastern Europe, teen countries co- coming out from underneath the Soviet control. Right. Uh, and so, like, I traveled alone, <laughs> to, and it was interesting because I'm not a super, you know, extroverted person, but I think I think there's some value in traveling alone, uh, obviously keeping safety in mind, because um, when I traveled alone, I went to Austria, and I met people from Brazil, and I met Russians who were living in Austria, and then I kind of crossed the border of Austria into the Czech Republic, which is now, now the area I was in is Slovakia. And then I met some really interesting Americans who were also traveling in that area. One was like a Fulbright, uh, uh, a Fulbrighter, and then another was a student from Washington State. And so I think the thing that's really interesting is sometimes when you're not with a big group of other Americans, you have these interactions with other people that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were traveling with a big kind of group of co-nationals, if you will, you know. Yeah. Oh. Wow. That's a, yeah. That's an interesting story. Uh, I love. Yeah, and I think it was. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was just gonna say I love um, hearing everyone's different recollections of their experiences. So thank yeah. you for sharing. Yeah. No. Okay. Now um, moving forward, and I didn't ask you this before, but if you could, um, could you maybe talk about the food? which is my favorite part about studying abroad. And what is your favorite food living here? And then what's something that you miss from uh, back or from your travels abroad? Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, in the U.S., I I think my comfort food is like macaroni and cheese. I really love <laughs> macaroni and cheese. Um, and I, uh, I would say, like, from my time abroad, I think in, in France I really came to love – um, all the baked goods and the pastries and also vegetables. I came from like a really Midwestern family where, you know, we didn't eat a lot of vegetables. And in in France, my host mother, she was a wonderful cook and she made all kinds of salads and vegetable sides. And at first I was, I, I didn't really want to eat them, but, you know, I did. And I really came to enjoy, um, all these kind of creations that I never had at home. And then when I lived in Morocco, once again, um, that's really where, because there was no prepared food there, right? Everything, if you wanted spaghetti sauce, you didn't buy it in a jar. You had to make spaghetti from scratch. Um, In particular, if you wanted Western food or food that you might have been comfortable with from home. Um, But I think my favorite Moroccan dish is there's a tagine, and it's like chicken with olives and preserved lemons topped with french fries. And it's so good because you take the french fries and you dip them in the sauce of chicken and olive and lemon, and it's just delicious. Uh Um, That sounds really good. 
It is really good. And the thing is, I've had it only, you know, sometimes I've eaten Moroccan food in the U.S., and it's just never as satisfying as, like, the food that my neighbor would make in our little town. Um, yeah, I think food is a really interesting uh, part of the experience of living abroad in that um, you do try new things that you probably wouldn't. And, um And, you know, and then that I think that makes you curious about other parts of life and culture. And then also so much social connection occurs over food, right? So that's where in a lot of cultures you sit down and have coffee and you have a conversation or you have a meal that lasts several hours and you have those conversations that result in friendship. Right. No, I could, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, now, Living in, in in France, you must have gotten spoiled with the wine a little, right? But if you yeah. if you walk into a bar right now, what what what's your drink? What will you order if you walk into a bar? Well, I, maybe it's because I live in Wisconsin, but probably a glass of beer. Ah, okay, good. Yeah. All right. Um, and then moving on, uh, do you have a quote that you'd like to leave us with, or some kind of travel inspiration? Yeah, I think one of my favorite quotes, both for travel and life, is the Lao Tzu quote, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Ah. Uh, yeah, because I think, you know, there's so many things that seem so big and scary, and so, you know, some of us don't approach that, but I think if you just think, just do one small thing to bring you closer to that goal, uh, it seems less scary. Uh-huh. Yeah, baby steps, kind of, right? Yes, exactly, baby steps. Yeah. And uh, do, you, do you have any book recommendations? Yeah, there's a book that I really love. It's called The End of Elsewhere, Travels Among the Tourists by Taras Gresko. And it's um, really a history of travel, and um, all the way from, like, religious pilgrimages to the kind of the tourism industry now and it just explores all kinds of really interesting ideas about travel and what it means to be a visitor to another country. And then also um, the privilege that comes along with being, in particular, like a North American or Western European is that we have a lot of um, freedom of movement that many people around the world don't have. Uh, and then it also explores this idea of travel as addiction, like people running away from their own problems through travel. So I think there's just a lot of interesting things that are explored in the book. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll link that, and I'll definitely check it out. And uh, and then finally, do you have anything else you would like to add? Or you know, yeah, I would just say that for, I guess, you know, it's probably something I've said before, but I just think, like, if you're a student and you're considering you know, studying abroad, um, don't let your fears stop you, whether that's fear of whether you can afford it or fear of losing a relationship or fear of missing out on something in the United States. At the very least, just, you know, visit your study abroad office and ask a question or two. You know, that doesn't commit you to going abroad. It just gives you information so you can make good decisions. Okay. Yeah, well put, well said. Uh, all right. I, I think that does it for this interview with Colleen Marchwick of University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. Colleen, thank you very much for being here. Guys, uh, if you could uh, 
on your on whatever podcast medium you're listening to, if you could rate the episode and give us an honest review, that would be that would be helpful to me. We're also available on pretty much all the social media, so you can check that out on the website. And be sure to also go to the website to see uh, UW Eau Claire's infographic that will be associated with this interview. Colleen, thank you very much again for being here, and we'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. All right. Thanks.